what I knew that we'd walked into a Pride of Lions and, uh, and the Lions didn't know we were there uh, until one of them just lazily opened an eye. Welcome to episode three of Wildlife and Wilderness Travel and Safaris with me, Dr. Steve Banner. This week I'm delighted to be talking with Nick Astlin. He's a great character who has an incredible knowledge of safaris in Zambia. In over 30 years, Nick has grown from a young professional wildlife guide in South Luangwa National Park to making safaris happen for travellers across the whole of the country through his own operations. Our chat will meander like the Luangwa River, from tales of lions through various fascinating facets of safaris in Zambia, its national parks, conservation, birds and safari styles. Zambia is a huge country, 13 times the size of the UK and about the size of Germany and France combined. Or for those in North America, consider filling the space between the Mississippi and New Mexico's border with Arizona, and then northwards to North Dakota. It's way bigger than Texas. It's also an overlooked destination for African safaris, and we'll discuss this too. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Hi Nick, welcome to the show. First off, what's your passion for Zambia? Well, I suppose I've, I've been associated with Zambia for, for many years now, almost 30 years. And yeah, I went out as as a young young lad and and hooked up uh, with Norman Carr, who, who was one of the sort of founding fathers of the safari industry, found myself in the Zambian bush and just fell in love. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great journey and, and it still enthralls me really and so I'm I'm still there. <laughs> so what enthralls you? I think the diversity, really, more than anything else, and the excitement. I mean as a as a young lad arriving in the bush and going out on my first safari I was excited. Many, many years on, I'm still excited to go into the bush and, uh, and to see the animals. I think I look at it with a slightly different eye nowadays, uh, a more knowledgeable eye, possibly slightly more jaded eye. But uh, nonetheless, the place still excites me. And, and being on safari is still to me, a tremendously exciting thing, and and I've been lucky in in that I was able to build my career around uh, around sharing that with uh, with other people from around the world. So why should we safari in Zambia? Um, in Zambia, as opposed to any other well, African you've got safari some major destinations. Competition with places like the Okavango in Botswana or the Serengeti and southern Tanzania in East Africa, close neighbours. Indeed, and and, sits in between. and both incredibly iconic ecosystems and, and, and regarded as such around the world. What has Zambia got when one is going to compare it with things like the Okavango Delta in Botswana or, or, or the Great Plains of East Africa? Well, it, it's an enormous country and over a third of Zambia's landmass is set aside as protected territory. So the habitats and the, the wildlife that, that call those areas home uh, are protected in over a third of the country. We've got 20 national parks, 
uh, many of which are, are, are not really particularly viable as tourist destinations. But uh, among them, the South Luangwa uh, is, is a fantastic ecosystem. We've got the Kafui National Park, uh, which is one of Africa's largest parks. Um, and equally, that national park is, uh, as with most of the parks in Zambia, surrounded by protected territory as well. Um, the Lower Zambezi is, is a... a very popular uh, destination for for safari tourists. Uh, lots of lots of diversity of uh, of habitat and 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 activities down there. It's a navigable river, so uh, people are out on the water as well as on the land. And then the other big draw card for Zambia from a tourist perspective, of course, is the Victoria Falls, which we share yeah. with our neighbour to the south, Zimbabwe. Um, so yeah, there's 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 plenty going on. And where do you think it places itself in the market for safaris between, say, Botswana and? Um, East Africa. Um, Botswana is known for its high spend ecotourism. Um, does Zambia also embrace this concept or is it more general? Yes, it does. Uh, we always used to have a sort of government stated policy of, uh, um, of high value, low impact tourism. Um, I don't know that we've really managed to to protect that policy uh, in in reality over recent decades, but certainly, um, you know, unfortunately for many, it's not a cheap destination to travel to. But when you compare it to some of its safari neighbours, Botswana being a prime example, uh, it is certainly not as expensive as some. Um, and yeah, Botswana has, has developed a, a bit of a reputation for the cost of some of its uh, some of its tourist attractions. Um, so we're, yeah, we're not a cheap destination, but sustainability is important to to those yeah, involved in, in, in Zambian tourism and a lot of what people from around the world will pay in order to have the privilege of being on safari in Zambia a lot of that is ploughed back in many different ways into the communities surrounding the wildlife areas into conservation of those habitats and the animals there uh, so yeah a lot of a lot of uh, the input is is going straight back. so that's the one thing I was going to come on to a little bit later maybe but we can talk about it now is that sustainable tourism these days is a big thing obviously you've got community interaction and you've got conservation projects going on mm. can you talk a little bit more about those so that um, we get a feeling of what if i went out on safari how am i benefiting the people out there or how am i be benefiting the wildlife or or even is am i able to see these things in action as well yeah absolutely you can i think i think the first thing to understand is that wildlife tourism cannot exist on this planet no, absolutely. unless it is there to 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 work hand in hand with the human populations that that, that live nearby yeah. um, and once once a, a government or an authority sets a piece of land aside and says that this is this area of land is for the protection of wildlife um, to the exclusion of humans you you are creating a political situation and and one needs to uh, one needs to have the buy-in of the local populace they need to be invested yeah. they need to be invested in the protection of those habitats and of the the animals uh, and if they're not then unfortunately the 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 concept is simply going to fail yeah. um, and and that is something that has been learned over over decades um, and uh, you know nowadays there's a lot of people traveling around the world to go and and, and find themselves in 
far-flung remote areas looking at some wonderful wildlife spectacles. But none of that will continue unless one has the buy-in of the local populace. And so that, that, I think that concept is essential and, and uh, is not a hard one to understand. Um, and, and certainly Zambia does an awful lot to, uh, to, to try to protect the, the, the scenario that I've just explained. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess right on topic and similar to that is, have you seen the effects of climate change within Zambia as well? Um, it's a hot topic and you know, you've got to wonder whether sitting in the middle of southern central Africa, tropical Africa, that you're seeing these changes. Yes, I, I think we are, but I, I don't think any more or less so than anyone anywhere else in the world. And and yes, the weather patterns around this, this planet of ours are changing um, and and have uh, you know evolved in in very recent years in some quite worrying ways where are we right now having this conversation it's it's the end of february uh, early march and and that is the begin you know the right in the middle of our rainy season back in zambia and we've had a, we've had a pretty solid year of rains or season of rain and and so that but you've that needed those rains well. this time around haven't absolutely you? and and there are differences in in the rain patterns that 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 come across our part of africa every year last year was a little bit drier um, this year looks looks to be a pretty pretty average year so yeah things are changing but in the same way that they're changing all over the all over the planet and i think in many respects we're seeing less less effect there in in what is an extremely landlocked country i yeah. mean we're, we're a long way from from any coast in 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 the middle of the southern part of uh, the, the southern part of the central part of africa so uh yeah i would say there's changes but i, I don't think that they're any more dramatic in our, else. in our part of africa than anywhere else can we take a step back almost at the beginning of this conversation and we were talking about safaris and whether zambia is a destination that we should visit I guess it's, like I mentioned, it's already often overlooked, but is it also a safari destination for first-time travellers? Yes, because I think the expectations and the demands um, of first-time travellers have changed in, in the years that I've been involved in the tourism <laughs> industry. And I think I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, going to Africa on safari was was not a particularly common thing, and therefore those in the business of sending people to Africa would typically want to send their first-time Africa visitors to somewhere a little more, shall we say, tame than Zambia. However, um, why with, do you think Zambia is not tame, or why do you think there was a perception of Zambia not being tame or wild? Well, it is. It still is a, a lot more wild and out there than some of the other safari destinations. But surely that that's the attraction of it as well, isn't it? Well, it is. It's, uh, it certainly is. But but g turning the clock back a, a, a few years, um, when the very fact of going to Africa on safari was was quite out there and exciting, if you ended up in the Kruger National Park, that, that was something yeah. to tell your friends. Um, whereas now... People are saying, well, South Luangwa, everyone goes to South Luangwa. I want to go to the North Luangwa because there's only two camps there yeah. and, and a dozen tourists at any one time. So it, it's, it's all degrees. Um, but, but certainly Zambia offers a very authentic safari experience and always has done and hopefully will continue to, to be able to do so for some years to come. So what can they expect on a typical day out safari in the bush? You're normally out of bed quite early, so people need to understand that. The safari, uh, you know, there, there are reasons. There's a lot goes on around dawn in the bush. Um, so so you're, normally, you're normally woken pretty early. 
and, and typically you'll have two or three safari outings in a day lasting anywhere from two to four hours at a time. That can be in a vehicle, it can be on foot, it can be in a, in a boat or a canoe. There's, there's all sorts of ways of, of getting around the bush. But uh, a walking safari is, is something that Zambia has developed a pretty healthy reputation yeah, for over come the on years. To that. Yep. One of the reasons that, that we have gained a reputation for our walking safaris in Zambia is because we conduct them in somewhat of a different way than most places. Uh, well, they were pioneered in Zambia, weren't they? So you've had a lot of time to hone what a walking safari is and what it means to clients as well. And I'm sure that also has changed over the years too. Yes, and I, I think the the origins of, of photographic safaris on the whole are, are quite interesting really because it, it goes back to to the days when um, an African safari was a... Was a a hunting experience yeah. um, and people would would come by boat to Africa from Europe and from North America um, and spend several weeks at a time on foot in the bush shooting lots and lots of, of big African animals. Some of those hunters that, that were hosting guests uh, and Norman Carr amongst them, he started as, as most people in those days did as a hunter, he realised that, that Sometimes there were there were people accompanying the hunters who didn't necessarily want to go out hunting and wanted to just look at animals, and that really was the origins of the modern day photographic safari. Yeah, and as I remember rightly, he moved that out of Kafui into the South Longwood, didn't he? Specifically for that type of walking safari where you could go and yep. learn about things. Exactly, exactly, and that's so. Yes, going back to what we were talking about, the walking safaris and and how they are conducted in Zambia somewhat differently. Um, and I think, in a nutshell, what is different in Zambia is that we try to do our game viewing on foot. So. The, the goal of going out in the bush is to see animals and if you're on foot is to sneak up and get essentially up close and personal to big African animals and and that is tremendously it's a completely different experience to sitting in a, a vehicle albeit open-sided there's so much more exposure and there's a greater thrill with it as well and a greater connection probably to the wildlife too Absolutely. And that, that comes from the fact that when a human is in the bush on foot, he is part of the scenario. Yeah. He, he is a threat to every animal that, that he comes across, um, or a potential threat, and is seen as such. Whereas animals will look at a vehicle and they'll sense and they'll smell a, a, a vehicle full of people. And it is not regarded, particularly in areas where uh, photographic tourism is, is conducted, the animals quickly become accustomed to vehicles and do not regard them as a threat. Um, and hence, you Well, can... a lot of time is spent habituating the animals in those locations as well, isn't it? Yes, and it happens, it happens quite naturally. It's not something yeah. that anyone works at, um, but the more vehicles and tourists you put into an area, the more relaxed the animals become. And there are advantages to that because it enables one to get very close to, to animals and to study their behaviour in its natural form. So, so if an animal disregards the fact that, that a human is there watching yeah. him, then he will act naturally and and, uh, and and that is that is interesting it's far more interesting to watch an animal behaving the way that you believe he would behave if you weren't there than it is to 
to see him reacting to you. And that's, that's what happens when you're on foot. An animal does react to you. But if you are with a skilled tracker and a skilled guide who can interpret the bush for you, um, then you don't become too much of an intrusion in the bush, but you, you do see animals reacting to you. And that is tremendously exciting. Yeah. Um, and I always liken it. You can, you can drive up to a pride of lion feeding and, and literally drive over one of the lion's tails and, and they'll just look up and shrug at you. You can track fresh lion spore for an hour, listening to, to calls and alarm calls of the lions. Lions are creating these alarm calls as they walk in front of you and you know you're on, on, on the track trail. of lion. Yeah. And, and eventually you come across them and you find them, you see them a couple of hundred meters away under a bush, flicking his tail and he runs off. That. That encounter is infinitely more exciting than, than driving up on a private <laughs> Okay, line. here's a great question then, because this was my next question. Can you recount some of your best walking safaris or experiences out there walking? Um, well, you want the exciting ones, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, talking about sneaking up on lions, I suppose one of my memorable encounters on foot was with lion. And it's very unusual that uh, we knew we were in the vicinity of, of lion. But it's very unusual that that one can come across lion and they don't know that you're there. Yeah. Um, what made this particularly interesting is that we didn't know they were there and until I literally <laughs> well, walked... Well, this about skilled trackers? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I walked, walked in and we realised that we were surrounded by a pride of lion who were fast asleep, fast asleep, <laughs> in under bushes, in long grass and all and. There was a moment of my realisation of where, where we were in conjunction with, the, with these lions and, and before any of them realised. You were the guide at the time. I was the guide at the time. <laughs> and I was with some friends of mine, in fact. So, it, it, yeah, it was, it was quite funny. And, and uh, there was a, a, just a couple of seconds. I'm not sure that my friends really realised what was going on, but I knew that we had walked into a pride of lions and, uh, and the lions didn't know we were there uh, until one of them just lazily opened an eye. As they do. And growled. And immediately the bush all around us erupted. And every, every lion just went in a direction away from us, which is their natural, their natural behaviour, thankfully. But yeah, that was that was quite interesting. There was just a couple of moments there when uh, it was uh, very interesting. <laughs> so yeah, but but in, you know, you one one is inherently safe when one's on foot in in, in the bush um, because most animals are afraid of humans, yeah. and that's their natural that's their natural uh, response is to move away. Rather yeah, than yeah. There's there's that old fight and flight um, instinct in animals. And if you do surprise an animal like that and you're, you're too close, uh, then the, the, there is a potential for them to decide to flight, fight rather than flight. But, but almost every time um, their, their natural instinct kicks in and they just well, want, still to, they want to get the, out of there. So the fight hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you was what do you see as a typical itinerary for safaris in Zambia. We'll talk more in depth about some of the locations you've mentioned. You mentioned South Luangwa, Kafui, Lower Zambezi. Perhaps you'd like to give me an idea of what typical safaris are like, or a typical itinerary is like, and how long it might be, and how long people are spending in camps. Yeah, uh, you know, let's take a sort of a, a typical two-week uh, two trip through Zambia. So um, it can be done in many different ways, but, but most typically I would probably like to, uh, to start 
people in the South Luangal, which is the country's premier wildlife national park. Uh, there's more tourist camps there um, than, than, than in any other park in Zambia. So more options. It's a very large park. Um, so you can find yourself into in a small remote bush camp far away from anyone else. So typically one might start in the Luangwa for, for possibly a week, split between two or three different camps. So you want two or three nights in, in, a, in a camp and then move on to, to another camp. And many of them are close enough that one can walk from camp to camp. And that's, yeah. that's quite exciting. It, it gives the, the element of, of an expedition um, and you get up early and your morning safari walk ends at a different camp. They've driven your bags around. You're not carrying those with you. And, uh, and, and that's, that is one way of moving from camp to camp, which, which, is, which is rather nice. Uh, and why is South Luangwa the premier national park well we've talked about diversity of wildlife perhaps you'd yeah. like to expand on that and habitats the, well. well yes the diversity of of wildlife really comes about because of the diversity of habitats so the more the more habitats you've got the more the more different species you, that you're going to find in in those areas i think the the thing that that is always worthy of note um when talking about why the luangwa valley is such a great place for wildlife is the Luangwa river itself yeah. it, it it is an incredible river for its size in that part of africa it's very unusual that it is entirely natural so it hasn't been dammed but it's also seasonal as well isn't it <clears throat> well it is which 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 is part of the fact that it, it is an entirely natural river so when the rains come it it fills it fills its banks and 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 will break its banks at time from time to time and then uh, at the end of the dry season, so we, we have two very distinct seasons. We have the rains in uh, from sort of November, December through till uh, the end of March, and from beginning of April through till the, when the rains come again in, in November, one wouldn't expect any rain. And during that dry season, the river goes from a full uh, a full river to to just a trickle, and that that whole process is part of what makes the Luangwa so special. Um, because it hasn't been dammed, it flows naturally down the shallow gradient of the Luangwa Valley um, and it meanders from side to side, uh, creating these oxbow lagoon systems when the river takes the more direct yep. route down the valley, cutting off the, the old corner of the river. Uh, in the rainy season, all of those old courses join up and become it becomes one huge big river. Um, and in the dry season, they become uh, removed from the main river, uh, become lagoons, they dry up. But the, the key to it is what's termed the, termed the riparian belt, which is the, the strip on both sides of the river that is, has had all this alluvial loam deposited yeah. over the years. And that creates, it's a very rich soil uh, and creates very, very uh, vibrant, rich vegetation and, and, and great variety of trees and, and, uh, uh, and all sorts of plants and grasses. That, in conjunction with those lagoons and the, the dry dambo areas, is what gives the Luangwa Valley such a high carrying capacity. So Yeah, from my experience, seeing huge herds of buffalo down in those areas, it's... Yeah. It's not all concentrated around the river, but it's, it's definitely around the river, all those side branches and the streams that are running into it that that hold the wildlife there around the grasslands and the bush that's further out. Exactly. And and that is that that is termed it the, the, the carrying capacity of that area is very yeah. high. It can sustain 
a large amount of, 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 of wildlife. So the, the different habitats give rise to a variety of, of population, the different species of mammals, and yeah, all this rich uh, vegetation and, uh, and grazing lawns uh, give, give a, a high carrying capacity. So that is why the Luangwa Valley is so good for, it, it's home to so many animals. Yeah. Uh, and that really is, yeah, that, that's what it all comes down to, that river system. So moving on from the Luangwa, where to next on the itinerary? After the Luangwa, down to the lower Zambezi. The Luangwa is a tributary to the Zambezi, but they are completely different rivers. Uh, and so visitors to the area will see the two different rivers. And the Zambezi, the, the biggest difference between the, the two... The mighty Zambezi. The mighty Zambezi <laughs> um, is not an entirely natural river because it has been dammed yeah. in several several places along its course. And therefore, the, the flow of water is controlled by man. It's a very, very interesting river, but it is, it's a, such a different river from the Luangwa. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, at the Lower Zambezi, uh, the, the area um, just upstream from where the Luangwa joins the, the Zambezi and downstream from uh, the Kariba Dam. So that, that was a, a dam that was built in the 60s, creating Kariba Lake, which, again, is downstream from the Victoria Falls. So geographically, that's where we're talking about. On the Zambian side, the northern uh, bank of the Zambezi, it's the Lower Zambezi National Park. And on the other side of the river in Zimbabwe, it's the Mana Pools National Park, which yeah. equally is a, is a, a beautiful, a beautiful area with with lots of uh, lots of great game there as well. So that river quite different. It is a navigable river, so you can boat and canoe on the Zambezi. It's a far smaller national park than well, the Luanda. Yeah, it's smaller, but also the the wildlife is very much compressed in towards that banks of the Zambezi at that point because of the mountain terrain that lies beyond. So. My impression was that the wildlife there was really dense, um, certain terms yeah. of ellies and other, other predatory species, uh, well, not other predatory species, but predatory species as well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and we're talking about carrying capacity um, and the, the hills that form the Zambezi Valley um, that, that lie just a couple of kilometres back from the, the, the river on the Zambian side, those areas conversely do not have a high carrying capacity so yes you're right the animals don't tend to to exist up in those hills for 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 very long at a time and they are forced therefore to live on the valley floor between the hills and and the river yeah and you're right the 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 population the populations are quite dense because there's not so much space for them um but also when comparing it with the Luangwa, as, as we were just talking about, less variety of habitat, less, less variety of species, both mammal and bird. Um, it's just a smaller, it's a smaller ecosystem. Yeah. But, but I would say more aesthetic. It's a beautiful national park. Your, your, your views uh, of the, the river. The atmosphere there is very, very different, isn't it? It is very different. And that's again, comes back to, to when one is creating a, a safari experience through Zambia, uh, for for people, then the the varieties that you're going to com- compare and contrast between those two fantastic national parks, yeah. and like I said earlier, we've got twenty national parks to choose from in Zambia. <laughs> we've just been talking about two, but they are two particularly special uh, parks. Yeah. And do you finish an itinerary off at Victoria Falls logically from there? Yeah, I think logically. You've it, now it got is... direct flights through from South Wanga into. 
Yep. Low as Zambezia and onwards to the Victoria Falls. So it seems like a logical conclusion. Yeah, getting getting from one destination in Zambia to, to the next is has become very easy over recent years. Uh, light aircraft are buzzing around the, the, the country. And yes, the, the Luanga is connected directly uh, a couple of flights a day into Lower Zambezi and, and in turn from the Lower Zambezi either back to Lusaka or up to the Kafui or down to Livingston. Um, and the Victoria Falls are a huge draw card. Um, and uh, yeah, if one hasn't seen the Victoria Falls, then do yourself a favour, get along and have a look because they, they are phenomenal. Um, I'm not sure of the exact figures. It's not the tallest uh, it's not the tallest and it's not the widest uh, falls in the world, but I think it might... It's have, Africa's iconic falls. Well, it, it is. I, I think it might have more water going over it than any... I, I'm not sure. It's, I think it's 100, 110, 111 metres high, so it's fairly substantial, and it's at least a mile wide, I think. Yeah. Um, so very, very impressive. Um, yeah. You mentioned a couple of other parts there, and we've mentioned Kafui a number of times. Let's delve into some of these Western national parks. I mean, they're immense parks, particularly the Kafui. Can you bring us up to date on opportunities in those parks? Yeah, I think the, the, the Kafui traditionally, originally, was uh, Zambia's premier uh, national park in terms of tourists. And, and I'm, I'm going back 50, 60, 70 years now. And that was purely because of its proximity to the capital city, Lusaka. So yeah. today you can you can drive for three hours west of Lusaka and arrive at the Kafui National Park. So it is accessible. <clears throat> but um, no, for, for quite quite some time now, uh, it has played second or third fiddle, really, to, to the, the Luangra and the Lower Zambezi in terms of, of uh, being a destination for, for tourism. There are fewer camps, uh, and as you say, it's a very large national park, so those camps are quite well spread out. Huge diversity of species, though. There's more species of uh, antelope in the Kavui National Park than found in any any other park in the world. So it's got its own records. Um, yeah, yeah, but in huge numbers as well. You go up yeah. to Basanga Plains and you're looking at what, over 30,000 puku and Yeah, and, and the lechwe yeah. up there, which are in relation to the puku, um, are, yeah, they're absolutely teeming, teeming with, uh, with wildlife, particularly, as you say, the Busanga Plains, which is up in the north, uh, very much the jewel in the crown of, of the Kafui. Um, but hard to get to for much of the year. It has a very short season, which does create its own problems from a tourism perspective yeah. in terms of getting people in and out, really... You can you can get in and around in June, but it's not easy. Yeah. July, August, September, October. It starts drying out at yeah. August time. Yeah, and you know you've got four months of, of access out of twelve. It's not <laughs> it's it's not that it's not that easy. Liwa um, is pretty much the same, isn't it? It, it is. West. Yeah, Liwa Plains is uh, is a, a large area of, of plains and grasslands in the upper reaches of the Zambezi. So it is very much uh, a floodplain of the Zambezi. Uh, and that, that river is incredible. So different in its upper stretches where we're talking about now in western Zambia where it borders with Angola compared to the, the area downstream yeah. past Victoria Falls, yeah. past, past Kariba to Lower Zambezi. Whereas up here where we're talking in western province, 
when the rains come down, the headwaters of the of the Zambezi start to reach these plains. The river just expands and it, it, it becomes miles and miles and miles wide as it just fills these floodplains. And, and there's no, it's, it's hard to define where the main course of the river is. It's just a huge <laughs> yeah. body of water. And yeah, that's again, just a, a, a completely different and, and, uh, and very interesting ecosystem. So the Lua Plains is not- got, Effectively, you've got- a wildebeest migration across those lands? There is. There's a small wildebeest migration. Well, I say small. <laughs> uh, I think compared to what a lot of people regard as the, the, the big wildebeest migrations in, in uh, across the Serengeti in East Africa. So fewer numbers. But, uh, yeah, the, the, these herds of wildebeest wander from one side of the plains to, to the other, dependent on the time of the year. They're giving birth um, around about uh, November time, uh, November, early December, uh, and that's a wonderful time to visit the Lua Plains. Unfortunately, it does have very, very short seasons. So, so May, June is a great time to, to be in Lua, and there's lots, yeah. of, lots of flowers in bloom then, and uh, hyenas denning. And then you've got the, the wildebeest um, birth, hyenas, birthing. Uh, what? One of the main predators there. Yeah, there there was uh, traditionally a, a good lion population there, but that dwindled over over many years. And there was a fairly famous story of of a lioness that was called Lady Lua, and she was the last surviving. Uh, lion on the plains and of course that that spelt the end of that species in that area uh, and so uh, other lions were brought in uh, and yeah. mated with Lady Lua and there is now a small population a viable population but a very small population that is being managed um, of lions but yeah for many years hyena were the apex predator on those plains um, and they behave very differently from the hyena that you will see in, in the other parts of Zambia because of that situation. Um, there's also cheetah there and, uh, and good wild dog as well. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. And what about camps for accommodation? Yeah, uh, then... there's, there's only one high-end camp and, and then there's, there's a number of uh, campsites and, uh, and, and lesser camps for self-catering, uh, people yeah. driving themselves to, to, to that area. But in terms of fully catered high-end camps, there's only one. King Luanika, it's called, after the, the local king in that area. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful lovely camp it's an expensive camp because it is very very remote right. so it's a long flight to get there <laughs> and then it's a long drive from the airstrip to get into camp or a helicopter transfer You're really so, selling it <laughs> yeah well if you if you can get there it's well worth it but uh, and part of the reason why it's so well worth it is because so few people manage to get there so yeah. it makes it very special i think that goes with the with us being wildlife and wilderness my interest is is the wildlife, of course, as biologists, but also looking at um, the wilderness areas, the quieter areas where you can get exceptional experiences. And clearly, that's one of those areas, as is the yeah. Busanga or somewhere like that. Absolutely. We can't talk about the African bush without mentioning bird watching. Uh -huh. um, when I was researching, I noticed that <clears throat> while Zambia's got a number of endemic mammalian species, which is probably quite unusual, for, even for such a large country, it's only got one endemic bird species. But what makes it a hotspot? 
for birders. There's one and seven, 750 One and a half. Species. I think we could say one and a half. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's a, a, a lesser known Pearson cystichla that was sighted many, many years ago in, in, and named in the far northwestern corner of Zambia. Um, and there have been several expeditions to try and rediscover this bird that have failed. So we're not sure whether, whether that particular cystichla is, uh, exists or not. But no, we, we have a, a Zambian barbet, which is endemic to Zambia and found nowhere else but you're right yeah that's that's pretty much it but but for a landlocked country you've got what 750 species plus on record yeah that's a large number i know yeah. yeah of course you're a large country but uh yeah no and it it, it is it's a, it's an area of, of of the bush that i particularly enjoy we have a lot of migrants that come through from north africa and from europe at yeah. this at this time of year so they come down for our rainy season to breed um and it's a particularly exciting time to to be looking at birds in the Zambian bush because all the visitors come and they're in breeding plumage and breeding song and yeah. and and so they're they're really showing off um, and yeah very very exciting time for for bird watching at this time. So you think it's a good destination for birders? Absolutely, no, really the the. Uh, yeah, the numbers of different species that one will that one will see as you travel through a safari. In and you've got to travel to pick them up. Well, not really. Um, I mean, when I when I lived in in the Luangwa, uh, in the national park uh, a few years ago, me and a few friends we used to go out. We called it the Hundred Club. We wouldn't go back for breakfast until we'd uh, ticked off a hundred different species. I know you're going to say the day, not the breakfast. No, 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 no. We do that in a couple of hours. I mean, admittedly, we knew what we were we knew what we were looking for, uh, and we would identify a number of those birds by by call only. But um, no, you don't necessarily have to travel very yeah. far to see a great variety of, uh, of avian life yeah any particular season you'd recommend for bird watching well as i say this the, the 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 rains which is not the best time to be in the bush for the mammals would be the best time for birding yeah. and that that's um december january february yeah. uh, and that's when we've got all our migrants in and as i say they're in breeding plumage and breeding song and and it's a very exciting very exciting time to be to be looking at birds in the bush and i know that the camps are much cheaper at that time of the year as well it's classically called the green seasons yeah absolutely and and a number of them are not open um so all the remote camps are, are inaccessible yeah. uh when when the rains and the river the rivers are flowing um so yeah for those people keen on birds that that is a, an excellent time to visit because you're getting good value uh you're not not tripping over too many other tourists <laughs> and you can really really get get into some fantastic birding yeah what other gems of zambia have we missed um, we have not touched on the largest mammalian migration on the planet. I haven't even mentioned that. And that <laughs> happens in Zambia. For a few weeks uh, in November and December in the Kasanka National Park, um, we get a visitation of upwards of 15 million straw-coloured fruit bats. 15 million? 15, 15, 15, 15, 15 million, but still, that's quite a, that's quite a number. <laughs> um, so that is the largest mammalian migration on the planet. Why they all go to this very small patch of Mashatu forest is, is anyone's guess, to be honest, and the researchers haven't come up with any particularly good reasons as to why <laughs> they should go there, but they do. They, they, they arrive in that area, and, um, and you can go, you get up very early in the morning uh, and, and see them all coming back to roost, and, and then go there in the evening, and they all fly, the, the sky turns black. Wow. So, yeah, it's a little bit different, but it's, uh, it's pretty special. <laughs> <laughs>
And Shoebill Storks. We're going back to the birds now as well. Yeah, Shoebill Stork. Uh, not the only country that, that one will find the Shoebill, but uh, there there is just there's the Bangwelu wetlands area, uh, and that is that is home to a good population of Shoebill, uh, a, a remarkable-looking uh, stork. And, uh, yeah, so that that is that's another specialty, if you like, yeah. And you can visit year-round. Uh, to Bangwelu, yeah, yeah, you can. Then there, there's there's good and bad times for for finding the shoebill. Uh, June, July, uh, early in the dry season would be a good time if one wants to uh, to go there to see shoebill. Uh, and then, of course, you can combine that with it's a perfect time for for safari in the rest of the country. So, yeah, it works perfectly. Uh, yeah, so the dry season really is from June through till October. That's our peak safari months. That's great. I've got a couple of last questions for you. Where do you see the future of Zambia tourism? Well, hopefully, or, hopefully, or very, tourism. hopefully very strong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think as a country, we are, we're doing a pretty good job of, uh, of protecting our wildlife areas and, and, and the wildlife therein. Um, I'm personally involved in, in, in a few different organisations, conservation organisations that work very hard to, uh, to, to keep those, those habitats and those areas protected and, and the species yeah. that, that live there. So I believe that, that we have a strong and, uh, and, and good future ahead of us in terms of, of protecting our wildlife. And if that's we don't protect good. it, then, then there'll be nothing for people to come and see. So no, I'm, I'm positive about that's it. That's really good. Finally, I already know the answer to this, but when you leave the office, where are you going to go for your greatest safari experiences? <laughs> um, if I'm just going to rush off to the bush for a couple of days with my wife, more recently, we've been going to Los Zambezi, actually. Uh, it's, it's easy to get to yeah. from... Yeah, you, thought oh. I, you thought I was going to say the Luangra, where I lived yes. for many years, and, and that place holds a very special, special place in my heart. But... Uh, it's very easy to get to from Lusaka, where we now live. Uh, and, yeah, I liked the the ambience down in the Lower Zambezi and uh, being on a boat, on the river, gin and tonic in hand. So, yeah, I I, I might just give it the Lower Zambezi above above the Luangwa, but it's a, it's a tight call. <laughs> That's a great way to end, I think. It's got a very special atmosphere down there on the Lower Zambezi. Absolutely. So I'll say cheers to that. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed our travels there on Safari Through Zambia. Thanks for listening. And if you've any comments, then do post on our Wildlife and Wilderness Facebook podcasts group or email us at podcasts at wildlifewilderness.com. Remember to subscribe and share this episode. And if you're thinking of taking a safari, visit us at wildlifewilderness.com. Wildlife and Wilderness is at all protected. In the next episode, we're heading north to finish Lapland. Much colder climbs. See you then.